It's Dr. Stu's Podcast at drstuespodcast.com. Check it out on iTunes. Register on iTunes, by the way. Subscribe on iTunes so you never miss another exciting edition of Dr. Stu's Podcast. Or join us right here on the website where we're always happy and cheery at drstuespodcast.com. Thanks for joining us. I'm Brian Whitman with my friend, Dr. Stuart Fishbein. Hello, sir. And we're live, right? We are live. We are doing podcast number 75. I looked at- 74. Oh, I thought you told me he's going to be 75. No, you didn't listen. Oh, is that what happened? That'll happen sometimes. That's okay. (laughs) I looked at this man, Dr. Stu, at Conrad's in Glendale two years ago, I think. And I said, you, you're very passionate guy. I mean, I've known Stuart for 20 years. I said, you're a very passionate guy. You should think about doing a podcast. And he said, hmm, a pod, you know, typical Stu being analytical. Hmm, podcast, what would that look like? What does that look like? What is that, what, you know, in, in, your, in your mind, what does that sound like? Oh, it sounds like a radio show. And it looks like a day a week talking into a microphone. Okay, let's do it. So we're happy to say that we are here for podcast number 74. And we have a special guest, which is always fun. Yes, we're going to get to that in just a second. But before we get to Kimberly, um, I wanted to just say that, it, you know, we are this is great Brian because we are in demand I have since we've had some hiatuses here lately and some scheduling conflicts I've been getting inundated with comments and emails and stuff we miss you we want you back where have you guys been so we're gonna uh, to, the, to the listeners we want to I mean if you people are taking the time to out of their day to listen to us we really want to give them a good show I'm glad you say that if you respect us enough to be here for us to hear what we have to say especially with Dr. Stu has to say on Dr. Stu's podcast we endeavor to be here for you and we thank you for that your listenership is something you should know that is never taken for granted we are so grateful that you make the decision to listen to Dr. Stu's podcast and we endeavor uh, despite all of the other crazy things happening in our lives some of them very good by the way to be here for you to talk not only about uh, all of the heavy, weighty, and important legal and health-oriented issues of Dr. Stu's podcast, but to just kind of kick the can down the road and talk about life a little sometimes. That's right. That's right. We get uh, uh, we get on all, to- all sorts of topics here, and it really has been uh, uh, a fun, cathartic thing. And to hear people uh, either emailing me at askdrstu at gmail.com or to just run into me at meetings we've had it's been a it's been a lot happening here in the birth world in california in los angeles, in los angeles, in los angeles lately uh elliot berlin who's been on our show before Great has guy. been a very busy guy and he is uh last night was a screening it'll it'll when this thing airs it might be a few days ago but uh it was a screening of a new uh documentary that uh, uh he has executive produced uh called trial of labor it presents the uh the story of four different women uh, from uh, just before their their second birth when they or their third birth when they've had C-sections and and we don't know what's going to happen to them and it's very compelling and it talks about uh, a lot of the issues that we brought up on the podcast before we also have a breach documentary in the works I also have a paper that I've been trying to get published that is now getting much closer to the possibility of being published fingers Hopefully crossed in a week yes. or two I will have a good announcement on that and that's on uh, my first 100 home births. I'm now up to 131. And so the birthing world here, there's a lot happening. Uh, there's things happening up in Sacramento. There's things happening with the Board of Registered Nursing going after some uh, certified nurse midwives, sort of on a, a, what I would call a bit of a witch hunt. Um, we may get into that in a, a different podcast. 
But today uh, we have, you know, to, it's pertinent to a lot of pregnant women is um, the, the options that they have regarding home birth and hospital birth and other choices like bottle feeding and breastfeeding. I think bottle feeding is sort of going the way of the dodo, which is probably a good thing. I like that. There was just an article recently, and I'm going to get Kimberly's comment on that. How and again, this is this is one of those things where science usually proves what common sense would tell you, or it's wrong. And in this case, there was an article recently that came out that said people who are or babies who are breastfed uh, are uh, smarter, uh, smarter. I saw and, that. Yep, I, I mean, you talked about it, and uh, they're smarter and they do better. On, oh, you've got the title there: the longer. Babies breastfeed, the more, I hate these pop-ups, they achieve in the ma- uh, in life, a uh, major study came out. So, See, I have a question about that, and I don't know if I should just do one of my Brian things and ask that question Well, let's introduce right Kimberly now. first, sure, and then it. you can ask Kimberly your Brian question. Great. That'd we are great. pleased to welcome to Dr. Stu's podcast number 74, as producer Randy uh, was... Uh, I'm grateful that he corrected me. We are at podcast number 74. Kimberly Durden is here. She's an internationally board certified lactation consultant in the biz. We call her an IBCLC. That's she's, five letters. That's, that's she, very impressive. It's awesome. That's she's, a lot more than I got. She's also Dr. Stu's midwife. So that's interesting, <laughs> right? You said you're Dr. Stu's midwife, aren't you? I said I was a student. Midwife. Oh, a student midwife. I thought, no, I thought you were like Dr. Stu's number one go-to midwife when he has a new pr- client he has to care for. Well, I'm lucky I, enough to travel around with him when he does done, invite me to births to, to join him. And it's been really, really great and a great learning experience. What are some of the things we've seen? Well, we've seen twins born at home. You've seen twins born at home. But the cool thing about the twins being born at home, the awesome thing about the last twins i think they were the last ones you attended no i had another one you had another one since then was that actually two more since i don't know can i say they just they just came out before we got there right right they were born twin babies at home their dad the, the baby's father ended up catching them in the tub in their in the tub in their home and all i can say is that of course birth doesn't always go perfectly but just that this family was their babies fell out. The babies fell out of the mother. And it goes to show you that birth is supposed to work. And she went so fast, by the way, that she probably wouldn't have made it to the hospital. No way. Had she intended to go to the hospital. And it would have been more dangerous for her to be in the backseat of her car. Absolutely. Um, so it was, it was fascinating. We were all, this was one of those births where it was way out in Chupitzville. Uh, <laughs> it was in a place called Winchester, California. I know where that is. This, yeah, the Temecula. Winchester Mansion is there, right? It's out near Temecula. I don't know. <laughs> oh, or is that the Winchester Mansion? The we crazy? don't know. We the, just went there to see the twins. By, it's by French Valley Airport. Oh, uh, oh, it would have been, well, okay. been faster to fly out there. So let me ask you. Oh, wait, oh, wait, wait. So, Brian, so, so what's, what's fascinating about this is that, is that the husband and the only other person there was a photographer. Right. And she got some unbelievable footage. But the f- husband had me on the on the speakerphone. Okay, right. after the first baby comes out, everything's fine. They hang up on me for the next twenty minutes. I'm on the 15 freeway heading down there, and I'm calling and calling, and nobody's answering. It's going straight to voicemail, or what's happening? Yeah, it's going straight to voicemail, and I'm wondering. Is everything okay? Did the phone fall into the toilet? I mean, what happened? Also and, probably thinking I'm on the 15. Am I in a bad cell site or what's no, up here? No, no, no. I wasn't even thinking that because it was going through. And I was texting these guys on the You're freeway because right. we're all driving down separately. So, uh, but what's turned out is he was busy because the second twin came out right, right after that. So. Right. That's it a great awesome. story. That's yeah. a great story. And how uh, the the uh, mom and dad and the twins are all They're well. amazing. They're amazing. They're amazing. They're perfectly they all, fine. They all lived. They all lived. As a matter of fact, once we got there, the mom was 
in her bed with breastfeeding her babies. Now let me ask like, you about and, that. And, nurture, like and nurturing her, her and her taking care of her. Yeah, yeah, two year old, almost three year old. Right. Like I'm, she does this like all the time. Kimberly, I'm glad you said that she was in bed uh, breastfeeding her babies because that brings me back to what I wanted to ask you about at the top of the show. Doctor Stu mentioned, uh, and I mentioned, we mentioned on our radio show here in Los Angeles this survey that says that babies that are breastfed are right. more likely to basically just grow up to be smarter than right. kids who aren't, which is basically what the study said. And again, that's a generalization, and sure we all is, know. Right. That right. generalizations are generally true, right. but anyone who thinks they're always true is, is, is confusing what a generalization means. So my question for you, Kimberly, is this. As an, advi- as an avid advocate of breastfeeding, which I know you are. Yes, I am. I ask you this question. That's a mouthful. I'm waiting for the question. I can't wait. What is it possibly about the act of a baby breastfeeding from his or her mom Mm-hmm. that could possibly make that baby grow up to be smarter than the kid who didn't have that experience. Okay, that's a that's a great question. I think Thank that's you. the crux of the You'll find I ask, you know, I ask good ones. And I actually want to, w- I'm going to say well, we, some we, things. We edit out the bad ones. Don't worry about it. And <laughs> so I think it's a great question because that's the crux of the conversation. Sure. It's like, you know, what is it? How does it connect? Is it something in the milk? Right. So the answer to that would be yes, absolutely. Human milk is species specific. It's made for human babies. We don't expect a cow to go get some other mammal's milk to feed its baby. We expect that the cow's the calf is going to just feed from the cow, right? Right. And because that milk is especially made for a cow, for a calf to grow into a cow. For human beings, we our milk we have milk, we're mammals, and our milk is made especially to grow human beings. So everything that is needed to grow a human being is in that amazing, precious fluid. We can't recreate it. It cannot be recreated in a laboratory. It can't be man-made, woman-made. It can't be. You you say this with a smile to the formula generation. Well, the point is that we have to be really clear that it can't be duplicated. Mm. And... So you mean all those women in the 50s and 60s <laughs> were they were bamboozled? Lied to. They were bamboozled? Absolutely. So positively. You, so you realize how smart I would actually be if exactly. I actually was breastfed? Yeah. Because I was bottle fed. They, right. they actually made my mother stop breastfeeding after the first couple of days in the hospital. My brother and I were also bottle fed. Right. Right. Okay. Just think about us, Brian. I could have won. I, I could be the champion on Jeopardy if my mother had breastfed me. I could, <laughs> I could have beat that Ken Jennings guy on Jeopardy if my mom would have just breastfed me. I, well, it doesn't make you that much smarter. Oh, it right. doesn't. Just yeah. And how much? Great question, Randy. Yeah, I was going to just say. Yeah, Kimberly, how well, look, much but, smarter does okay. it make well, she's you? She's got much more to say I, I, about a that. A couple of things that I want to say. More than just the milk. I just want to go back to saying that it can't be recreated because it is more than just. It's more than just this calories that we're giving to the baby. Right. We're also feeding the brain in a species specific way, okay? So not, there's so many other benefits besides the intelligence. And then I could go on for days. Anybody can Google it, okay? It's, you know, wait, okay? So we, we as a matter of fact, this United States is big on obesity, talking about obesity. Sure, Michelle Obama. And, and breastfeeding is included in reducing obesity. And there's a lot of different reasons why. It's, it's again, the components that are in the milk, but it's also how you end up feeding a child who is breastfed. When you're feeding a child who's breastfed, you're feeding them. They eat when they want to eat. 
It's not a scheduled thing. Dare I say portion controlled. There's, it's portion controlled. And a right. breast, what I've learned about observing breastfed babies over the last 23 years is that you can't force feed a baby, a breastfed baby, your, your boob, your breast. Moms today like to call it boob. So, But you can't force feed them your breast. When they're done feeding, they shut their mouth and they, like a vice, and they're done. Now, you can take a bottle and kind of wedge it in their mouth and force feed them. And I watch uh, parents force feed when I watch bottle feeding moms. Not all bottle feeding parents do that, but I've, I've watched it happen. And more, more, even more sadly, I've watched hospital personnel force feed babies uh, artificial milk. We call it artificial baby milk formula because they've been told by their doctor, the, the pediatrician that is attending the child, that this baby has to get this, you know, three ounces every certain, you know, every three hours. Has to have it. And whether or not the baby wants it or is actually able to take it all in, these nurses, will they have tricks to make the milk. Stick into the baby. I have a question. It's an Wait, important before, one. Yeah, this is this, this is something that we've seen universally in in on, on our podcast when we talked about these sort of topics. How uh, one size fits all mentality right. at, at institutions where they do this sort of thing. I just wanted to ask before Brian gets uh, his question, which is always a good question. But um, when you say the breast milk is uh, beneficial for the baby, is it is it the same if they were? If the mom were to pump and give the baby milk through a bottle? Actually, the studies show that there are the, the benefits actually are reduced when the moms pump and put it into a bottle. So it's actually something that's happening when the baby is actually attached to the mother's right. breast. And so what's happening is that there's a there's a conversation, there's a language, there's messages going back and forth between the baby's mouth, the baby's saliva, whatever germs, uh, bacteria that the baby has come in contact with, that touching the mother gives information to the mother's body of what antibodies to make, mm -hmm. to pass back to the baby to protect them from illness. Sometimes uh, people say to me, oh, you talk on the radio, and I say yes and thank them, and then I add, I don't just speak on the radio, I listen on the radio too, because as my friend Rick Dees always said to me, Brian, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason, <laughs> listen more than you speak. So I try to do that, and I'm listening to the very compelling and informative conversation that uh, not just uh, Dr. Stu and Kimberly are having, but I'm listening to the conversation that's happening internationally, and I have a question for somebody who might be joining us here on Podcast 74 for the first time, because we have new listeners on iTunes at the website, drstuspodcast.com, who come in brand new all the time. They might have rolled into this show and heard the last 20 minutes of conversation and they may think as I'm thinking is possible. So I'll ask you is bottle feeding a baby is the term force feeding. No disrespect intended. Has the term force feeding become almost a euphemism for bottle feeding or am I not hearing? No, no, no. good. What, what good, I'm saying good, is good. that feeding a baby from a bottle is totally different than feeding a baby from the breast. And, you know, bottle feeding and formula are not inherently evil. They have a place. And there are many times as a lactation consultant, if I'm working with a family who's struggling with something like milk supply or baby not latching, if baby is not doing well, I'm going to suggest that they talk to their doctor about formula feeding or what type of formula they should get. But here's the, here's the rub. The truth of the matter is the best choice for a baby who can't breastfeed from his mother is to receive donor milk donor human milk from another 
lactating woman. Well, how well publicized is that campaign to get don't no really to get donor moms out? That's the first I've heard of that, Kimberly. That's amazing that this is the first you've heard of it. We actually have an organization in the United States called the Human Milk Bank of North America. It's wonderful, and they are a nonprofit agency who who um, asks mom to donate their milk. They have a very uh, rigid screening process of these mothers, even the mother's partners have somewhat uh, have a, a bit of screening that has sure. to be done sure. um, the moms will donate their milk and the human milk banks there are eight in the United States they um, the human milk bank of North America has very strict regulations they pasteurize they actually pool and pasteurize the human milk now here when they pasteurize the human milk they lose some of the beneficial properties but me- most of the beneficial properties are still there and the majority of children who receive the benefits of this donated human milk are premature babies, very ill, sick babies who would die if they did not have uh, human milk. And, uh, you know, they're always looking for donations. There are also for-profit milk banks, but I I really am in love with the non-for-profit milk banks because they're uh, they're, uh, quality standards are extremely high. And we will put on the website here at Dr. Stu's Podcast, and he'll put on his Facebook page a uh, a, a, a link. A link. That'd Thank be you, awesome. my dear, uh, to that organization. <laughs> Dr. Stu, it's interesting. As, as I listen here to this conversation about breast milk, and uh, again, we talked to Kimberly Durden. She's an internationally board-certified lactation consultant, known again worldwide as an IBCLC. And uh, uh, so we're talking about breast milk. Let's talk for a moment about the forgotten formula. At some point, fill in some blanks for me. At some point, I guess a bunch of physicians got together and created this thing that became known as formula. Is that how that happened, guys? Uh, Kimberly probably knows better than I, but I would assume it was a pharmaceutical company uh, or companies uh, that did this. And I don't know when it first started. Um, I can tell you a little bit about that. Actually, you know, before the 1900s, everybody was breastfed. And let me just tell you that. It is true that if a baby could not be breastfed, they could die. If their mother died, if they didn't have did not have access to breast milk, what would they drink? There, well, wa- and, there was no formula. And even a lot of the uh, aristocracy had other women breastfeeding their babies. Well, for there's them. wet for nurses. Right. Wet nurses. Wet right. nurses would be employed, right. or you know, for to feed babies whose mothers weren't able to feed them. So that's how we managed. That's how we got along. What we knew though about babies who who didn't have breast milk available is, if you tried to feed them something else because many different things were tried. There's something called PAP. Have you ever heard of PAP? I have. Flour and water or flour and cow's milk or something mixed together would be fed to a baby who had no access to breast milk. And what we found, what people found was that those babies died. So you either had the mom, if she wasn't around, you found a wet nurse. If you didn't have a wet nurse, you fed the baby whatever, and they were probably going to die. So there is a great need for something like formula for for babies who need it and don't have access to human milk. However, because that's very scary. Ha- however, it has become a huge money making industry, and there, this is where we have the problem. One of the first. Uh, companies to market infant formula was Nestle. So I don't know if you guys know, but maybe your listeners can go Google the Nestle boycott. We're actually still supposed to be boycotting Nestle, but Nestle went into third world countries and started marketing their new product, which was this infant formula. Uh, They went to third world countries first and they, uh, in, in, they invited folks in these, in these communities to become they gave them the opportunity to become something we're going to give you a job selling our improved infant formula this is better for babies so they trained community members 
trusted community members. They set them up and put uniforms on them so they would look like health workers. In an effort to distribute. And they started distributing these infant formulas to communities that had always breastfed since the beginning of time. So folks started seeing that as it was it was touted as more hygienic, safer, cleaner. Um, it's what wealthy women did. Important question, Classy. Kimberly. Has right. a government has a has a jury proved that it wasn't? Yes. Okay. Actually, it was proved that it was all lies, and we found we what happened was they had, it's kind of they were kind of like drug dealers. They would go into communities, they'd give the formula away for free. Moms would start using the formula. Then those moms would lose their breast milk supply because once they weren't breastfeeding anymore and only giving artificial milk, their breast milk supply would dry up. Then when it was time to buy more formula, they didn't have the money. So they, whatever they could get, they would start to water it down, ration it out. We saw many, many babies die. On top of it, in many of these these countries water supply was not the greatest of course you had to take this powder and mix it with water so we had babies just dying from diarrhea diarrheal dysentery, illnesses right. dysentery all yeah. kinds De- of dehydration and all of all this. of that so millions of deaths happened because of nestle entering into these countries to make money and we still have the effects of that today there's a couple of organizations that were founded waba world alliance for breastfeeding action and there's another one and forgive me it's not coming up right now but they are part of they are a worldwide organization that really kind of tries to police sure. the marketing and what the formula companies are doing to um, put some regulations on them. Okay, yeah, this is a good point to point out that uh, again, you're listening to Kimberly Durden, an internationally board certified lactation consultant. Uh, for more, by the way, I always tell people we do the podcast. We have all differing points of view here on Doctor Stew's podcast. Of course, un- under normal circumstances, we'd have a spokesperson for Nestle to give their side of the story. I encourage people at this point, do some Googling, do some research. You encourage people that on Absolutely. your own to go out and do some research on what happened uh, involving Nestle in some of these countries. Learn their side of the story as yes. well. So you may be well, uh, well edified in the uh, in the uh, in the arena of what happened here. So clearly uh, what 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 you learned, Kimberly, is that when breast milk, when when uh, a mother's booby milk, you said boobies. I can say boobies. You can say boobies. When booby milk I is. I love that I'm sitting here with guys talking about boobs. <laughs> awesome. I don't think you can say booby milk. It just sounds. When, when, <laughs> <laughs> when good old fashioned from God, I believe, booby mm-hmm. milk is extracted, mm-hmm. uh, baby's in a worse place. If what happens is compared to the alternatives, that's what I'm hearing yes, overwhelmingly. Yes, when it's take when when babies don't have that, and the thing is that formula companies even today, and one of the ways you can do some fact checking on what I'm talking about is if you look at a formula commercial, you'll see in small print on the bottom of the commercial that they have to say this: breast milk is best. If you decide to use formula, consult your doctor. It's really small print. You better believe it. On the cans of formula, it has to say that breast milk is the number one choice. That that's you know formula. Talk to your doctor before using it. I what what I wonder, Doctor Stu, what percentage of just uh, of American mothers and international mothers choose to breastfeed as opposed to use formula? I can tell the pendulum is swinging toward breastfeeding. Well, the pendulum is swung uh, greatly in in developed countries, at least uh, the United States. For sure. I mean, when I first started in practice um, in the 80s, we were uh, inundated in our office by drug reps or, or mm-hmm. formula reps coming in 
All uh, all pregnant ladies in her office got a gift bag. Oh yeah. Um, it was a nice uh, p- uh, carry around gift bag, a diaper bag type thing. You almost with, wish you were with pregnant the formula on yourself. the outside. They were so attractive with with, a, with the emblem on the outside, with the logo, with a bunch of stuff inside, some gifts for the mom, and they, they just stuffed our office with these, and we gave them, and they went to the hospitals, and the hospitals had cans more, and cans and cans of them. formula. Yep. To get people on, uh, Similac, yeah. uh, Enfamil were the two most common that I remember. That's right. Um, I don't think I've seen formula. Well, since I've done home birthing, I haven't had a single woman who has right. used formula. And I don't think that many hospitals are still uh, pushing formula. I think that it's come around, but I don't work in a hospital, so I, I can't even answer that. But well, I, I do think it's coming around. Well, it is coming around. And again, it's because of the efforts of some of these international organizations that are looking at the 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 problem of not breastfeeding globally and it is a problem um it it it, all of us pay more taxes because people aren't breastfeeding because breastfeeding isn't happening because babies get sicker when they're not breastfed and trust me we're paying for that and and it's well breast milk is free too it is free it's absolutely (laughs) free um you don't have to pay it through the drive you don't have to go to the drive-thru and get a milkshake and you don't have to leave the couch right you don't have to to run to the store you don't have to pause house of cards to run to the store to get it (laughs) that's right look and listen no disrespect to women who have tried and have had difficulties i i work with women who've had difficulties who who may not be able to breastfeed or breastfeed fully a couple of things i want to say one for those of you out there who may have diffi- have had difficulties, it's it isn't all or nothing. You can breastfeed and use something else, and your baby will still receive some of the benefits, a lot of the benefits of, of breast milk. So that's number one. And number two, I really think in this country, again, it goes back to better supporting birthing families, better education before they have their baby, what life is really going to be like when they have this baby. Two, um, better birthing practices. Birthing practices impact whether a mom breastfeeds or not. Case in point, I have a mom who recently birthed in hospital. She came through one of my programs, which is for hospital, a childbirth education program for hospital-based folks, folks who are going to birth in the hospital. And it's really about empowering them in the hospital setting. And I get to tell them all the stuff their OB is not telling them. So I love that. So this particular couple went to the hospital. They were empowered. They had a doula. They, the husband knew what to, how to support her. They were rocking. They were rolling. It was beautiful. She had created a beautiful relationship with her OB. But unfortunately, her OB went on vacation. And she knew that she was going to be attended by another OB. And that was fine. She had her doula. She had her husband. She was great. They were rocking and rolling in this birth. Came time for her to push. The mom was squatting on a squat bar on the bed, doing all these wonderful out-of-the-box things that we love for folks to do in hospital. And the OB's um, replacement came in, took away the squat bar, in the mother's words, pushed the doula and the husband out of the way, immediately told her to get on her back, and started delivering her baby. Gave her an episiotomy without telling her. And the mom is traumatized. So what I'm seeing postpartum is difficulties with breastfeeding. When I'm looking at her physically, there's no physical reason why she would have a difficulty or why her baby would have a difficulty, but her, she's shattered. Yeah, I'm, and so, it has I'm sorry. Cre- to... It's created a, a, a gap for yeah. her. I'm sorry to hear that, Kimberly. And you know, w- when, when you tell that story, folks who listen to that are no doubt moved. You feel that there are feelings that you have when you hear that story. Here's this wonderful couple, so prepped, so ready to do what they want to do. And then you, you, you paint a word picture sort of of this doctor coming in, almost like an ogre coming in, this angry doctor. She was a female doctor too, okay. by the way. Okay, ogres can be ladies too, right? Per <laughs> uh, my personal experience. Uh, pushing doulas out of the way and pushing folks out of the way. But this comes back to a question, a conversation 
conversation, Dr. Stu and I have had for these dozens and dozens of podcasts we've done. What is it about the female giving birth and the relationship that she has with her doctor that too often than not, we're hearing stories where a doctor, male or female, right. has the upper hand, for lack of a better word, to push people around, to know you're going to do it this way, to you get out of the room. Is everybody scared to death of these doctors? Do some moms stand up and say, hey, I'm the patient. Don't talk to me like that. Of course they do, but it's, it's few and far between. I mean, we still have a culture in, our, in America where the doctor is sort of looked up upon as being on a pedestal and respected and and expected to be a fund of knowledge. I mean, the doctor is, is well-trained, generally. They've gone to medical school and residency to be experts in their field. They do command so, respect. So when they tell you something, uh, you generally listen to them. However, they're, you know, and in certain, in all medical, in all medical fields, we should start to do our, we have the ability now with the internet to do our own research, and we should start to ask questions. But specifically, when it comes to birth, there's been a, and, and again, it's male or female, but there's been a paternalistic uh, point of view taken for women that, and and they feel vulnerable. They feel like they cannot uh, speak up because now they've been with this person for eight months and it's three weeks before their due date. And what are they going to do if they if they are they going to leave? They're going right. they're going to be stuck without anybody. Right. They, they can't they can't find themselves in that position. So you need to do the investigation first. We've talked about this a million times. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd like to just uh, ask one quick question of. When, when breastfeeding isn't going well, mm -hmm. I know the answer to this, but I want you to tell the listeners the answer to this. Because I don't know the answer are, to it. <laughs> there, and Randy certainly doesn't know the answer to this. There are, I might. No, you don't. <laughs> no. no, you don't. There are some things that you can do to help the mother increase her breast milk supply. I know for one, because I get called all the time by midwives to call in a prescription for something. And I want you to maybe just talk a little bit about that for women who are having a harder time and don't know about this option, because quite frankly, I was never taught about this option. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, when I first started and we were, and it was the uh, formula era, we used to give women postpartum a shot in the butt of either something called del estrogen or del lutein, which would dry up their breast milk exactly. so they wouldn't have engorgement afterwards right. so that they could feed their baby with the formula and not get uncomfortable. Right. This was a standard of care 30 years ago. And that's why, and it's interesting because you hear moms today, moms who are birthing today, talking about when they ask their mothers about their breastfeeding experience, the mothers say, well, you know, it never really, my milk never really came in. Because also when those shots were given, whether or not the mom got informed consent about the shot that she was giving. She probably I, I, got I, I, it. It was just suggested that this will help you. And so moms got shots and they didn't know. And then there was no education. So moms didn't even know what to expect. Not, you know, so not to mention a, a million other things going on. A million other things going on. Okay. So in terms of how can you help a mom, the first thing I would say, Dr. Stu, is um, moms should be talking to their doctors or their midwives about breastfeeding period now if their doctor doesn't know anything most obese i can tell you right off the bat don't know squat. okay they don't know squat however right. not trained you dr Stu, don't know squat about breastfeeding i admit it you admit it and you know what you do you say i have somebody that you should talk that's to. right I got, and that's I what you do it's called a referral <laughs> yeah it's, it's really either my simple. midwife or you a lactation exactly. consultant exactly and it's, every one of my clients gets the option of meeting with them prior to birth and as well as so they have the number and that sort of thing. But I know for a fact because uh, in the OB world, in the hospital world, 
Uh, doctors have nothing to do with breastfeeding. No, they know nothing. nothing. We often say as lactation consultants that the OBs are just waist I mean, down. I mean, OBs don't. Right? They're just the waist down. Mm. That's all, you know. How? So Well, we're not mother-baby unit people. We're, no, we're mother not. alone. Baby's out. Baby exactly. belongs to pediatrician. Exactly. Baby's not eating well. That's not my problem. Exactly. I mean, I'll call in a prescription if someone tells me to, but other than that, I don't know that stuff. So the mother should be talking, the parent should be talking to the pediatrician as well, who also may not know anything about breastfeeding. Now, that's the rub because the, they're a pediatrician. Their job is to care for, be the medical advisor for this infant, but they receive no training on breastfeeding, and I'll prove it to you. I went. I have. We have a client that you may have been at this woman's birth. Anyway, she's. Did I do, a, good, did I do good work? Um, she's she likes you. She okay, you're cool. Right. So I think you were there. I don't know, but anyway, you know, you never know. <laughs> but she's a wonderful woman. She she had her two kids, and now she's gone back to school to become a pediatrician. She invited me to come to UCLA. Har- is it Harbor City over there? Which Harbor City. Harbor? Down yeah. in Torrance. I believe, I, I believe UCLA that's Harbor. the one. And what's the other one? Is there USC? Well, there's USC's and USC, UCLA's all over the place. So whatever, it was either USC or UCLA. What's the difference? What's the difference? Was it pretty? No. Oh. So she, she, was it maroon and gold or blue? <laughs> it was blue. Oh, well, then it was okay. UCLA. Okay, that, that's helpful. Okay. That's the most there helpful piece of information in go. solving it that particular UCLA. question. <laughs> yeah. So let me just tell you the story. She's a wonderful woman, breastfed her kids, great. She was shocked to find out that there was no breastfeeding included in her training as a pediatrician. She had me come in. There, for, wasn't, there wasn't any in mind as an obstetrician she's a, either. She's a pediatrician. So she, but imagine, Stu, with all due respect, this is so many years later, too. This, is, this happened in 2013. Right. So I, she asked me to come in and, and talk to the fellow residents or whatever they are with her or on her behalf as a lactation consultant. So for free, I went down and spoke to them for about an hour. These are all folks that are going to be caring for someone's baby one day, and they had no clue about breastfeeding. They had about as much knowledge as you do, mm-hmm. Randy. No offense. I'm Brian. He's Randy. Brian. At, or at Randy. We Brian didn't know anything Randy. either. We're all, exactly. Yeah, but, they but look alike. They look alike. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all look the same yeah, anyway? Um, no, well, Randy and I look alike. Got, but, this guy's got hair over here. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. true. But you know what? You, your point is so well taken that, I mean, when you gave that, uh, just that, Kimberly, that example of Dr. Stu, uh, as he admits so honestly, which is which makes him so great at this, mm-hmm. that he wasn't taught anything about that 30 years ago when he was coming up. And, and here you've got your taught. friend in 2013, a year and a half ago, who had the same deficit of knowledge exactly. because their training didn't include it. Exactly. As a matter of fact, she just contacted me this week. She says, I really want to get together with you because I'm doing some research on necrotizing enterocolitis and neck. NEC is the acronym for this terrible disease that that affects newborn babies. It's basically their gut starts rotting. And it's starts an inflammatory disease of the bowel, and it's it, it, it. There's different theories of why it happens, but it's almost always fatal. Basically. It's almost always fatal. However, many many studies that have already been done show that if a baby gets exclusive breast milk, a premature baby receives exclusive breast milk from its mother or a donor, they have much less chance of dying from neck. However, and if they're partially, if they get partial formula and partial breast milk, they are the, the, the incidences of them getting neck goes up, but it's still much less than if they're completely artificially fed. If they're artificially fed, they will have the highest risk of dying from this horrible disease that affects uh, newborns all over the place. She okay. wants to know for me. Can I give her some more information because she's not getting it, and mm. and in in her schooling, and she's doing a research project well, on it. The sad news is that they already have a ton of research. Make, just make sure you get it. paid for this one. I got two more things because we're running out of time. Great. One is the answer to the question about how do, how can women enhance their breasts 
what can they do with a lactation consultant and latching and and even talk a little bit about domperidone or anything okay. like that just really briefly and then i have one final okay question Br- briefly there are substances called galactagogues there are many substances that can increase a mother's breast milk supply so a couple of i think the best resource would be to go to uh there's a great website called uh, low milk supply dot com dot org i'm not sure low milk supply so those of you who are out there with that are struggling with that that's a fantastic website run by two really well-versed uh lactation consultants who only who basically study low milk supply in women why it happens and what things they can take there are prescription drugs that doctors can prescribe some of the prescription drugs we actually have been taken off the market and we actually have to go and get them from compounding pharmacies, mm-hmm. things like Domperidone and things like that. That's a whole nother controversy. That's where they make the drug right there. Exactly. Right. Okay, second question and final question. Let me just say for our guest, Kimberly Durden, again, an internationally board-certified lactation consultant, an IBCLC. There will be more information on the website for Dr. Stu's podcast number 74 on the Facebook page as well. So if you missed anything, and of course, you can subscribe at iTunes and get every show. So, Dr. Stu has a question for you before you Can go. Can I just though. say one thing? Sure. com is the lact- a place a website that you can go to find a lactation consultant, even if your doctor doesn't know about one. com. Right. ilka.com. Yeah, it might be .org or .com, one of those, but it's ILCA. Exactly. Yep, cool. Okay, we introduced this segment, and you know, by the way, there's no one that I've ever met that's more knowledgeable and, and eloquent than you on this topic, and Thank I you. think my, my partners here in crime are, are, are sort of stunned by it. But <laughs> they know, look stunned. We, we introduced this. We introduced this topic sort of by the by the article that talked about being smarter and right. and stuff like that. And on my podcast, I've often said that beware of science, beware of science by press release, um, <laughs> because. You know, a lot of times the, the science isn't very good. Mm. So I would ask you a quick question. How good is this science on this study? And uh, should we believe it? Um, is it hyperbole? Uh, is it just one of those things that uh, news organizations needed to fill the paper? And in 10 seconds, the study Dr. Stu refers to is the study that says that babies that are fed with breast milk, booby milk, as we say, <laughs> will grow up to be smarter than babies who go without. And earn more. Well, I think the interesting thing about the study is the first study where they fought, where they followed a large number of people for 30 years to, mm. and that, that, that helps a lot. And I, and honestly, I haven't been able to look behind the scenes of the study to see how accurate it is. But one of the things you did say, Stu, is that science proves, what is it that you said? Science proves common sense, common sense. Yes. Yeah. And I don't need this study right. to know <laughs> that breast milk is it's better for you. Awesome. And first of all, I have six children and I've breastfed them all for various amount of time. So one of the things I, it's so interesting because I have a 15 year old daughter. She's my fourth child. Wow. And I breastfed her for four and a half years. Ooh. Right. So that's the American response. Yeah. Ooh. That's the creepy response. You should response. be on the cover of Ooh. Time Magazine or uh, something, yeah, right? That's the, exactly. Oh because it's not seen as the norm. And we have to normalize long-term extended breastfeeding because it's absolutely normal when you look at what is normal for when a mammal mm. weans. So I've got to ask you when you call it's for a lot longer, <laughs> it's a lot longer than we would expect. We'll go a minute over here. But when you call for the, uh, for the extension of normalized breastfeeding, throw an age on that. Give me a number, you know, normalizing breastfeeding weaning is actually is it five, six, it's what are you between talking about three and seven uh, up to seven. 
So this is where we what we use. It's the immunity of the child. When is their immune system ready to function truly on its own? Between four and seven years. We also look at the emergence of the permanent teeth between four and seven years. There's a lot of other factors. We look at other mammals. When teeth they, and breastfeeding are not a good combination. <laughs> the teeth come in around six months, but babies don't use their teeth to breastfeed. As you can tell, Dr. Stu knows nothing about breastfeeding. I know nothing about breastfeeding. <laughs> He's actually I, never I, breastfed. But I, I want to know if there's a correlation between not breastfeeding and the frequency you go to a drive-thru. <laughs> that's what I want to know. All right, we, none of us were breastfed in here. You've just figured it out. That's great. <laughs> we want to thank you. Her name is Kimberly Durden. She is an internationally board certified lactation consultant in the biz. It's an IBCLC. This is Doctor Stu's podcast number seventy four. The next one will be exciting. Doctor Stu's podcast number seventy five. We thank you so much for joining us. I just wanted to tell you that that child has a very high IQ. That was the point. That was the point. Okay, don't play Trivial <laughs> Pursuit against that kid. You'll lose. That's right. You will. Kimberly, you're a delightful yeah, you, guest. Yeah, Kimberly, you, I mean, I'm glad you were friends and, uh, and colleagues. Such and, and such it's respect been, for it's you. Been great. You're so informative. So Yo, thank you. Thank you. And I speak, I think, on behalf of our listeners when I say that. KimberlyDurden.com. All right. On behalf of Dr. Stuart Fishbein, I'm Brian Whitman. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time on Dr. Stu's Podcast. <laughs>